Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. Boy, oh boy, was that nuts. A 115 to 112 overtime loss to the Memphis Grizzlies. Alex, I'm legitimately curious, where do we start? Well, the Knicks are making a habit of overtime first games of the season. We're going to first try to keep it positive. We'll talk about Julius Randle and Cam Reddish, why their performances could have been the big story of the game. Then we'll talk about what happened in the game, how the Knicks staged actually a pretty awesome comeback, uh, even though it weirdly didn't feel like they should have been able to. And then finish talking about some of the less glamorous stuff like R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson and a lot of the guys that we're really excited about not playing super well. So that's coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Our Locked On Knicks in today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered the season more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. And we want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. We are now available on all platforms, and that includes on YouTube, where if you missed it, you can check out our bold prediction series with Knicks Film School. We put out two on the Knicks Film School feed, two on the Locked On Knicks feed. So certainly go and enjoy those if you haven't already. But who would you be enjoying? I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest darn Knicks website in the whole wide world. Check them out on all social media at the Strick dot land where i'm sure alex they'll have plenty of coverage of this it, it this this just straight up nuts opening game i don't really know any other way to say it the knicks played really terribly for most of it um and still almost won against the shorthanded grizzlies and that was largely uh thanks to two people julius randall and cam reddish but we, we got to start off with julius who continued his momentum from a fantastic preseason yeah i mean i thought you know, I've thought this about Julius for the last couple of years. He preseason really does seem to be a good barometer of what's to come with him. And last, like two years ago, he looked great in preseason, carried it over to the regular season, wins most improved player, all NBA, all that stuff. Last year, some warning signs popped up during preseason. Uh, you know, that seemed like he was feeling himself a little too much and wanting the ball a little too much and being trying to be a little too heliocentric despite not having the efficiency and all that good stuff and then that came to pass and this year we have I, i'm gonna affectionately call him euro ball julius this year um because that's that i just want that to stick so we have euro ball julius this year and i think that things are working pretty well for him like uh right from the rip like jeff van gunny even noted you know he had a possession where he had sort of a face up on um i forget brandon who, clark was it on clark early in the game had, yeah. a, had a face up and and it would have been, you know, as Van Gundy noted, typically in the past, just a like jab step, jab step mid-range for Randall. But instead, he sort of worked the, you know, worked Brandon Clark a bit and then, you know, got Clark turned around and managed to go up for a like little running hook shot, drew a foul close to the rim and got an and one there. 
that was sort of the story of the game for Julius. I feel like just making smarter decisions and ultimately being really efficient. And, you know, I thought it was a great game for him, like 24 points, 11 boards, six assists, uh, three turnovers. So, you know, maintained a nice two to one assist to turnover there. Uh, and two steals and shot nine of 16, two of six from three, four or five from the free throw line. I, I couldn't ask for much more from him. I, I thought that he was moving the ball well when he needed to. He wasn't being overly demanding about touching the ball and, you know, having it be like his possession or whatever. He was kind of just playing with what the flow of the game gave him. And I thought he was making really good decisions. I mean, we'll talk about him in a little bit, but like, Randall, realistically, I think could have had 10 assists in this game if R.J. Barrett was not like as cold as cold can possibly be uh, from three and shooting 0 of 6 and 3 of 18 overall. Like Randall spoon fed him a lot of looks in this in this game and R.J. just missed them. Uh, so I, I think that Randall realistically could have flirted with a triple double in this game if some of those potential assists had come to be. But even without them, I, I thought it was a great game for him, a really great start. I definitely, weirdly, despite the fact that last year, you know, against the Celtics, he actually had an awesome game, but was playing not necessarily the most team-friendly brand of ball. Mm. I feel quite a bit better this year with his opening night performance than I did this time last year. Yeah, this this was peak Randall. This was, uh, I mean, a continuation of the preseason, but almost better. It was everything I've ever wanted from him as a basketball player, essentially the, the combination of him being in great shape, which I think you saw manifest itself in a number of different ways. I mean, or early on, like he set up RJ for that, for one of RJ's few buckets of this game for that layup in transition. It was just because he, he was he's sprinting the floor hard. Um, he got that put back dunk in the third quarter that uh, I, I almost gave my roommate a heart attack screaming when that happened. I was like, well, that was Julius Randle. That wasn't Obi Toppin, which is something I, I've, I've said a number of times through four preseason games and one regular season game. He had another play where he ran the floor hard, got a seal, got a layup. Again, very Obi. It, it was, it's almost as if like he, he's talked about how he's been watching Euroball all summer. It's like he locked himself in a room and watched Obi Toppin clips and, and just screamed over and over again in his head, why do they love him but not me? And then finally figured it out and said, I'm just going to play like that guy, and I'm going to do it better because I have even more skill, and I'm going to improve my athleticism and, and do some of the stuff that he does so well in, in terms of how he finishes. And then to your point, the, the playmaking, Alex, I mean, again, something that he built on from the preseason – Whenever he had a switch, I mean, I, I saw it like one play really stood out to me. He got John Morant at the beginning of a possession, backed him down, backed him down, backed him down, and then just slipped a pass to Isaiah Hartenstein for uh, his signature. I'm going to call it his signature because he's great on these last year, too, and he made three of them today. His signature push shot. Um, that, that was a key bucket in the fourth quarter. The only little frustration with Randall is that he was in foul trouble all night and he had kind of like, like an old bad Randall play to start overtime where there was nothing there and he tried to force it up anyways, elbowed uh, New Zealand national treasure Stephen Adams in the face, fouled out and uh, might, might have cost the Knicks the game because uh, Evan Fournier, uh, I, I thought, was, was not particularly good in overtime and Julius, I mean, more importantly, Julius was just the Knicks best player and they didn't have him the final five minutes. Yeah, not helpful. Speaking of guys that also stepped up in the final five minutes, Cam Reddish, of all people, 
was like the other hero of this game. 22 points out of nowhere in 28 minutes, 9 of 15 shooting, 3 of 6 from 3 and 5 boards and 3 steals and a block. I, I, I was like speechless during this game. He first came in and made a couple of like, like sort of boneheaded plays. And I was like, oh, well, like, you know, Cam is who he is. And like, he had also made like, he made a three pretty much the second he got in. And then like a minute or two later made another three. But then, uh, you know, shortly after that forced up a three, that was a bad shot, just total heat check, like, but not even a good heat check. And mm. I was like, oh, well, you know, it was nice while it lasted. He had his little spark. And then all of a sudden it was just like, nope, he's going to like run in transition and show us all like the best little flashes that we got last year in his limited play time. But like, just put them all together into a complete product and just be like a dynamo around the rim, uh, you know, getting all the way inside and using his just like crazy athleticism. And then of course hitting the, for the Knicks, at least the biggest shot of the game with seconds left on the clock, he, the Knicks actually ran an out of bounds play for once and found cam wide open alone in the corner who sunk a three to tie the game and send it to overtime. Uh, Well, Jalen Brunson had a nice moment to officially send it to overtime, but uh, more or less send it to overtime right there. Uh, But I, I'm blown away, Gavin. What? what, I don't even know what to say about Cam. We literally like two days ago, we're like, well, sucks for Cam. He's probably out of the league at this point based (laughs) off how he played in preseason. Yeah. And now he comes out like this. It's like, where is this all the time from him? I guess is my main question. Yeah, I, uh, two days ago, I went on a radio show this morning in New York and was was talking about him saying, yeah, you know, it, it sucks because he, he, I thought he played with good effort last year, but the guy just just cannot hit a shot. So unfortunately, he's, he's not going to be on this team for long. He's definitely going to be traded before the deadline. Shows you what I know because maybe he's the Knicks' second best player. It, it's plausible, I think, based on what we saw tonight, that he found a way to monster R.J. Baird and he betrayed his, his good friend. So that that sucks. <laughs> but he he was nuts. He was so good in this game. I mean, he looked – this is this is why I, – I tweeted this, but I'll, I'll say it on the podcast for, for everyone commenting in our YouTube section. Why do you keep talking about this guy? Why do we keep wasting time on him? Why are we doing episodes on Cam Reddish? He's not going to play. He's not good. He sucks. He can't make a shot. He was doing it tonight. He looked like an all-star tonight, Alex. Mm -hmm. Just the fluidity he had with those long, winding Euro steps, dancing through the Grizzlies defense over and over and over again. To your point, the the three-point shot was on the mark. Hit two of them early. His, His best uh layup finish of the day was it, it was honestly like Luca-esque we had a hesitation a spin move and then another hesitation at the rim before hitting a leaning righty layup I was like how long has that been in his back and you want to know why this guy was the number three recruit in the country you want to know why he was the eighth pick in the draft it's because of plays like that the size the balletic footwork the touch around the rim the patience the skill level there is a really really good player in there and he showed it tonight and then before we go to break the one play that stood out to me above all else the junk he had in overtime is i was getting on him all preseason for say this dude is six foot nine and he tries to finish like he's jalen brunson's height at all times and he just jammed it he put his you know what in desmond bain's face on a flush it was absolutely vicious so salute to cam reddish for proving us wrong tonight he was amazing. I hope this isn't the last we see of him. But Alex, if you if you want to bet on Cam's 
continued success. Where is the one place in all of America that you should go? Well, of course, you should go to betonline.net, which is your number one source for betting football and the start of basketball season. Of course, we are in the start of basketball season right now. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. It is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including the MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. And, you know, I had to check out, you know, some interesting odds that we got up here. There's uh, odds about coaches being fired. I don't know how I quite feel about this one after this first game, but you could get Tibbs at seven to one. I don't know if I'm quite buying that one yet. Another one I'm really not buying Julius Randall at four to one uh, to be the one, the first player to request a trade during the season. I just don't see it. He's, he's only behind Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. Give me OG on Anobi, who Jeremy Cohen, uh, you know, suggested that the Knicks should trade for this year at mid season at 12 to one. Maybe OG is that guy. Maybe Jeremy's right. You should probably go listen to our Bold Predictions podcast to see if uh, if you agree. But that's for uh, after this, after I tell you that you can head to the website today, betonline.net, or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, it is where the game starts. And we are back, and we want to thank you guys again for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. Now make your second listen, Game to Game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. You might even see Gavin's smiling face on there today. Uh, follow Game to Game on Locked On NBA, always on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, Gavin, we're back to keep talking about this game, and I figure maybe we should talk more about game flow now. This was The Knicks were down by quite a bit at one point in this game. I know it was at least 15. I think they got down by even more than that. I think it was 19. Yeah, 19 at one point. And, I mean, it started to look real ugly, like, right before the half. And, you know, that that general time frame, I was like, well, cool. You know, crappy game. But, you know, when I sat and thought about it as the second half progressed, I mean, they had to adjust what they were doing a little bit to make things, I don't know, I guess a – like run the offense in a, in a better way for what shots were falling for them. But like you got the impression in the first half, I didn't like, how did you feel about their process in the first half when they fell down by that much? Cause I actually found that I didn't think that they were that bad. I thought they were generating pretty good looks. Um, I, well, I thought defensively I had more of an issue with, I had more of an issue with the defense and the offense. They, they were just leaving shooters open constantly. And, and part of that was that they just couldn't contain John Morant off the dribble. And he is spectacularly good at eluding his defender than spectacularly good at finding open shooters. So that's a problem against everyone, but against the Grizzlies in particular, who were one of the best offensive rebounding teams in basketball. I think the best offensive rebounding team in basketball last year and look like they're going to be that again. It's such a big problem when you're in rotation and you're scrambling and and you can't catch up because you're going to give up rebound after rebound as the Knicks did in the first half and and did to some extent in the second half. Offensively, I thought there was just outside of Julius, honestly, there was just a little bit too much hero ball. And it it felt like everyone was like, all right, first game of the year, ESPN, uh, Western Conference semifinals from a year ago. Well, I want to be the guy who goes off. And it was a little bit too much of that. And the bench, I didn't think the process was good, particularly because Emmanuel quickly was just very off kilter all night. 
But I, I do agree with you that I, I wasn't sitting there and thinking like, this is a abject disaster. Like I was I, like, I wasn't, I wasn't shocked when they started coming back in the second half. Yeah, I wasn't either. And I, I think it mostly came down to, I guess, sort of making a shift towards Randall being the focal point more so yeah. than he was in the first half and sort of acknowledging that he was like the alpha in this game. But I also thought Brunson really kind of, First off, he got out of foul trouble, which was good. I mean, because he he had to sit down early because he got two fouls. And I think that kind of screwed up his flow in the first half. And I thought in the second half, he sort of calmed things down, went into like, quote unquote, floor general mode, you know, had eight assists in the second half to go with nine points and like shot pretty well. I thought he he had himself a really good half, obviously then had the the second best play of the game for the Knicks other than the the cam uh, three-pointer, which was the charge drawn on John Morant uh, right at the end of regulation that I, I'm sorry. Like I can understand being upset that like things didn't go your way, but that was so obviously a charge and that arena was acting like, like they had just been robbed of like a championship or something. The Grizzlies broadcast was too, apparently. That's it's ridiculous. I mean, I don't understand how you watch that play and think, Oh, that was, that was a, you know, definitely not a charge. It was so like textbook charge. Like literally those are the, that was like the only good thing that Kemba did last year was draw charges just like that. Like once a game uh, and jaw was just being reckless and being, you know, playing hero ball and then ran into a dude who knew what to do and, you know, just planted himself right in front of the cylinder. And, and that was it. Um, anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, you know, I thought I thought that Brunson was a big part of it. Julius was a big part of it. Hartenstein was a big part of it too. Yeah. I think you know, I I found myself once again, you know, just like I was saying, uh, just like I was saying on the bold predictions episode, and like I've been saying in recent weeks, like a little iffy on Hartenstein. You know, in the first half, I was like, man, I, I thought he was really getting bullied by Adams, which you know everybody gets bullied by Adams to a degree, but like Tillman, Tillman too though was, yeah. was getting to him. Yeah, like it just kind of seemed like he couldn't couldn't find any groove. And then in the second half, he sort of like found his lane finally and stopped trying to like – it almost seemed like he was trying to be Mitch-esque mm. in the first half and then settled more into like his style of ball in the second half, which was like, you know, uh, uh, like not trying to overpower guys but using finesse to get in the right spot for a block or, you know, in the right spot for a rebound. And the passing was on full display, I think, in this game. Although I think his best pass was in the first half, but – you know, he, he did a little bit of everything in that second half and I thought did really well when Mitch was in foul trouble, which again, we'll talk about in a minute when we get to the bad stuff. But yeah, you know, with how those three played in the second half, I, I, I wasn't terribly surprised that they were able to come back. However, I was kind of surprised in the sense of like, like the bench was largely other than Hartenstein and Reddish pretty awful. Uh, RJ was as awful as I've ever seen him in his career. Yeah. And Mitch was in foul trouble and like Fournier wasn't really hitting shots outside of like the threes were falling, but he wasn't having like a great overall game. I just, I I was kind of flabbergasted when they got within like five points and then like three points and then tied it and then took the lead briefly. I was like, how is this even happening? Like what, what happened to Memphis here? And obviously the part of the answer was Memphis cooled down a little bit, but it was, it was a very bizarre game to watch live because I was watching every play happen. And yet, even as they crawled back in, it, it didn't feel like they should be that close. And I found myself every time the score was referenced, I was like, 
no, there's like there's no way. Like if there was no score on the bottom, I wouldn't have believed it. To be completely honest. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. I'm, I mean, maybe maybe we'll get into it more next segment, but I, I do think we have to talk about RJ a little bit because this this was like there, there's no way to really sugarcoat it. This was a, a massive disappointment. I saw I saw someone I can't remember who it was. If I give him credit, but someone put out on Twitter like if Julius had this game, like you all would be ripping him. And I was like, on one hand, I was like, oh, that's that's unfair. Like obviously it's different situations, but it's RJ's it's RJ's fourth year and like. And not that we we treat him with training gloves on this or kids gloves on this podcast. Like I think I think we're pretty fair about RJ, but that that tweet's not wrong. And like RJ's not a, a he's he's a kid in that he's 22, but he's not a total kid anymore. And like and this was prime time national television, him against John ja Morant, the second pick in that uh, 2018 draft against the third pick in that 2018 or 2019 2019 draft. Um, and and RJ uh, he. He didn't show up. He he couldn't make a shot. And it, it was particularly painful because he wasn't just missing the, the tough ones that he was making all preseason. He was missing a whole lot of gimmies. And especially in OT, you just got to the point where you're like, oh, man, nothing he shoots is going to go in. And, and perhaps the, the most frustrating part of that is I, I thought what RJ got good at later last year is like when his shot wasn't falling. He found other ways to affect the game. And he just really didn't do that tonight. That not, almost nothing as a passer um, and, and he made a, took a really selfish shot. I can't, I'm trying to remember who's in, I think it was an overtime. It wasn't at the end of regulation, that three pointer in transition where the Knicks ended up getting the offensive rebound and salvaging the possession, but it was with like 28 seconds left in the game. And, and he just launched a contested three when the Knicks had a three on two. And it was, it was him trying to redeem his whole night in one shot. And, and that for, for someone who we've talked up for being very self-aware and being mature and, and kind of just having a high basketball IQ, that was just a terrible play on a night when he didn't have it. So super duper frustrating from RJ, but I, I guess I, the the reason I'm not freaking out from him is like, I, I think it's going to be an aberration. I, I don't think this is going to be the norm. Yeah. I don't really think so either. You know, let's take our, let's take our final break and then we can come back in and talk about the negatives as much as we don't want to. Uh, and, and talk a little more about RJ and Mitch and all that good stuff, and then come and then you know finish up the show here. So it's coming up next. All right, we're back, finishing talking about this this opening night loss, uh, overtime to the Grizzlies on the road. Big comeback, big improbable comeback, as we just said in the last segment. In large part, unfortunately, due to RJ Barrett, Gavin. I, I think you did a good job of laying out most of what I was going to say. So I'll, I'll keep my part somewhat brief on RJ, but uh, I'll give the stats just for the sake of how ugly they were. 11 points, three of 18 from the floor. Oh, six from three, five, six from the free throw line, something to celebrate. And then eight boards, three assists, two turnovers. And yeah, I I'm with you. I just, I thought that he, he started off slow and then just got, into one of those mindsets of I got to get myself going like a shooter shoot mindset call it almost like the J.R. Smith mindset of like if I just keep shooting eventually they'll start going in and it just never happened for him and it was really bizarre I mean to your point a lot of the shots I mean it wasn't even just like layups and stuff that he was missing there was one really bad layup I think it was an overtime maybe it was towards the end of regulation a high pressure moment that he had it and he he drove inside. I definitely remember the game was tied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, I, I was like, oh, RJ, yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> and he drove in and it was like 
with his dominant hand, with his left hand, nobody giving a good contest on it. And it just like he clunked it off the backboard and just like put too much mustard on it. And it just like rolled back off the rim. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, how do you miss that? Like, that's that's like your shot right there. Like, that's your dominant hand going up for an easy layup late in the game. Like you were do you were doing wacky stuff like throwing it up with English with your left hand and having it bank off the top quadrant of the freaking you know backboard and in during the preseason like and now you can't make a a straight on lefty layup like i i don't know that that was the one where i was just my final like face palm like man the kid just can't win tonight like what a bad game but i did also find myself late in this game every time he touched it doing the old and i i don't want i'm not relating the two players but this i just remember the player that I used to always do this with was Bargnani. It would be every time he touched the ball, I'd just be like, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. And then yes. be like, pass it to someone else. And then the second he would pass it to someone else, I'd be like, yes, oh. okay, there's a chance. And wow. It, that, that is tough. Opening night, RJ yeah. to Bargnani comp. That, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I said, I'm not comping the players. I know, I'm just I know. Just, the just, just them in the same sentence doesn't but, feel good to me. <laughs> no, I mean, it just was one of those games, though. Like, just a, just a can't-win game for him. Um that said, you know, I'm not ready to sound any alarms. Like, we just talked about how he was effortlessly scoring 20 points per game in, like, 24 minutes a game during preseason and shot 50% from three and everything else. RJ has traditionally started regular season slow to some degree. Hopefully that doesn't happen this year because it would be bizarre if he had such a great preseason and then couldn't transfer it over. Hopefully this is just, like, an opening night really went cold kind of game. Maybe the pressure got to him a little bit about going up against Morant, who like he got, he had to get asked questions all preseason about like, well, how about your extension versus Morant's extension? Like, does that like grind your gears at all? He got a max and you got, you got 120 million, you know, like stuff like that. I guess we'll see. Uh, Hopefully there's no trends that emerge from this though. I guess my main takeaway from RJ, but yeah, it was, I, I was racking my brain. And I mean, we've literally, done podcasts on almost every single game of RJ's career to this point. I, I was racking my brain. I can't think of a worse game that he's had in his entire career. And I mean, you got to factor in too with like that, like expectations versus reality and everything else. This game was like the biggest fall flat game. I think he's had in his career, like to, to date so far. Yeah, it was, it, it was tough. And I think look, he puts, he puts a lot of pressure on himself and that, that, went bad tonight hopefully on another night it goes well but Alex we we somehow have yet to talk about swing it I'll say ultimately this guy was a positive swing it back to Jalen Brunson the Knicks uh newest addition who, who really struggled to begin this game just one for five uh barely got to play for large chunks of the first half because he picked up two really quick fouls came back in and then I think got his third in in relatively quick succession but I, I don't know about you I was I was really really impressed with the second half from him. Um, and, and even, even in the first half after that one for five start, um, I wasn't super worried because he was unlike RJ, he was getting really good looks and they just weren't going in. And he has such a track record of making those shots around the rim, but then had, had a transition layup um, totally worked John Morant in the post. Um, and then you got to flash forward to the end of the game after some really good facilitating help get the Knicks 
back into it. He he broke up a lob where he got higher in the air than I knew was possible for him, ran down the court, and Randall hit him on a backdoor cut for a layup, and then hit a hit a clutch elbow jumper to tie it at 100 with 2.15 left, then came back on the defensive end and poked the ball away from John Morant. Ultimately, it was a ricochet in Memphis, got it back. Um, you referenced it earlier, but genius play from him to save the game on a charge. Um, and then kind of a heartbreaking overtime because he almost won the game for the Knicks twice where he – had that transition layup that Ja had the incredible block on. On replay, you could clearly see that it was goaltending. It was, it was on the backboard. So that should have been two points for the Knicks. Instead, Memphis goes the other way. Lob from Ja to Clark. Four-point swing. Killed the Knicks. And then he had a three-point, a, a wide-open three-pointer that would have put them up by three. And, and he just, just barely missed it. So it wasn't quite his night either. But I think this game was really good from him where this might have been the floor for him offensively. Like, like, great. Like, look, he will have a worse shooting night at some point this year. But in some ways, just given how easy of, of the shots that he had that he was missing, this is kind of the worst case scenario. And I, I still thought by and large, he played a pretty good game. Yeah, I thought so too. I, you know, the struggles were real early on and he didn't let it phase him. I mean, he was sort of like the anti of RJ's game in this one to some degree. You know, it was like he he started off, you know, dealing with some adversity and then worked through it and just figured it out in the second half. And I thought had, I thought had a great facilitating second half, you know, mostly in transition. I thought that he just was, you know, the Knicks needed points in a hurry. Like when you're down 15, you got to start. And maybe this is that, that sort of mystical, you know, comeback thing that I couldn't put my, my finger on before where I was like, the score just kept not feeling real. But when, when you're down and you start, looking you know up every time that you get a rebound and start scoring those transition points that happen in a flash those add up really fast and like that'll close a 10-point deficit in you know a matter of minutes and he was really good at doing that like I thought that once they you know once they got the rebound if he got it he was immediately like okay let me look up maybe I won't even take a dribble maybe I'll just rifle it down to somebody hit Julius on one of those at one point hit Cam in transition that way and that was all during like that key comeback run to get the the Knicks back in it so I I really liked how he played as well um I'll go to Mitch next uh you know I just think I it's so funny again you know all these I feel like this whole game was just about making us like eat our words about preseason right like yeah where it was like oh we think Cam's not an NBA player well he's gonna go score 22 points in 28 minutes and you think RJ's good well sucks to be you RJ sucks uh, and you know, oh, you think Mitch is like taking a next step and has like, you know, had really good games against two centers that he, you know, has traditionally struggled against in the final three games of the preseason. Well, now he's going to come out and get in horrendous foul trouble this whole game after you've been lauding him all preseason for keeping his fouls down to like one or two per game, uh, and get like royally worked by Steven Adams in many ways, uh, a guy who who like has been another one that's had Mitch's number in the past. He's one of the few guys in the NBA that can truly like massively out muscle Mitch or pretty much anybody in the entire NBA. Um, the other thing that really didn't help. And this kind of goes back to RJ was that the Knicks had RJ on uh, John Morant the whole time, which I'll give you props, Gavin, like you had mentioned during our bold predictions thing, you and I had the debate about like, I mean, this is more a prediction on my part. I don't necessarily, like I could see the positives in it if I was 
speaking with what I want, I would probably say I want Grimes to play as well. But I made the yeah. case for like, you know, Fournier brings a great wrinkle to the offense. And you were like, yeah, but the defense. And I was like, eh, maybe they can make up for it. I, eh, maybe not. Because this was kind of the prime example, right? Like they didn't feel comfortable putting Brunson on Morant. But then, you know, Brunson also got in foul trouble. So then it was like, all right, well, now we have RJ out there with uh, quickly and, and, uh, you know, there was at different times like Cam out there, um, you know, Derek Rose, whatever. But RJ, pretty much, if he was on the floor at the same time that Morant was, he was guarding him and it just did not go well. And I understand that like Morant is, you know, literally led the NBA in, in paint points last year, Hmm. which is insane for a point guard. And that's like his whole, thing is that he has like probably top three quickest first step in the entire NBA is one of the fastest players in the entire NBA and can get to the rim and finish there better than most players in the NBA and draw fouls around there. And so, you know, it's tough to really knock RJ because he was literally defending one of the best players in the NBA at what he does, but it really set Mitch up for failure in this game because from like the first second of the game, he was having to, you know, defend a driving John Morant who just kept like barreling full strength into Mitch, which if you're a big and you're, even if you're basically just standing there, you're going to get called for a foul with that because Morant is so small. Mitch is so big and Mitch did exhibit a little bit of a tendency of instead of staying vertical, like going for the ball or whatever to try to go for the block, which then Morant was, you know, able to turn into contact and everything else and and all that although i will just quickly say morant did get a lot of help from the officials in this game too like with that not a block on brunson late in the game that got called a block that then they said on the broadcast like oh no that was a foul but then breen kept being like game saving block by john morant and it's like no you literally just said it was a foul so like stop saying just be like oh wow that blown call is really helping out the grizzlies not like wow what an awesome play by Morant to foul somebody and just not get yeah. caught. Well, again, if, if it wasn't a goaltend, it's still a good play in that you're stopping the and one. But the, I think it was, it was a foul and a goaltend, so it should yeah. have been an and one. Yeah, terrible. But anyway, uh, that's all, all my point is to say, I just think it was a bad matchup for Mitch, made no better by the fact that the Knicks could do nothing to keep John Morant out of the paint, which meant that Mitch had to not only deal with one of his most, uh, one of his worst foes for him, in Steven Adams, but also had to deal with like one of the best paint finishers in the entire NBA uh, driving at a ball game, which was not great. Yeah. I, I think the concern with Mitch is we, we said it all the time last year that he feasted on bad competition and then struggled against good competition. And, and, and to your point, he, he played Miles Turner twice. That's, that's a pretty good starting center in the preseason and, and kicked his butt uh, up and down the court. And yet um, he did not have to go against a guard um, anywhere near uh, John Morant's caliber. I guess Bradley Beal is, is sort of the nominally the one guy, um, but he, he was not challenged by a team that collectively is as good as Memphis. And tonight he faltered. And I thought it was telling that look like it, it actually surprised me. I forgot when I looked at the box score, Mitch never fouled out of this game. Um, uh, Tom just decided, well, I call him Tom. That, that's weird. Um, that Isaiah Hartenstein or Hartenstein was, was the better um, option. And, 
I, I, there were times like near the end of this game where I was like, oh, I just want, I want Mitch in there for defense to get a rebound. And obviously Steven Adams got what should have been the, uh, the game ceiling tip out uh, in, in regulation or was that an over, that was an overtime. I don't know. It's all getting modeled at this point. But um, that being said, uh, I, I thought there were points where Mitch could have been inserted back in there and they could have used his defense. Um, but how can you blame Tibbs for keeping Harden, Hardenstein out? I mean, I'm I'm just going to mention him quickly because I, I didn't get a chance to talk to him earlier. That pass you were referencing was absolutely insane. It, it was it was after he drew he backed down on a switch, drew help from Obi's defender, and then whipped it over his head, uh, half no look to Obi for a duck for a dunk, excuse me. And that was I mean maybe maybe my single favorite play of this game, non Cam Reddish edition. That that was just awesome. Um, and, and then he uh, was nailing it from the mid range. He did miss the one three in overtime, but you know, you're not going to make anyone. I, I think we saw everything that made him a good free agency signing, but unfortunately, Alex, he was the lone bright spot for the bench in this game. And this is, this is where I think we can wrap this whole conversation up the bench uh, that I'm, I'm a day off from uh, predicting that they would be one of the best lineups in the league outside of Cam Reddish, outside of Isaiah Hartenstein was extremely disappointing. Emmanuel quickly, 0 for 6 from the field, 0 for 6 from 3, didn't get to the foul line once in 17 minutes, did not get an assist, did not get a steal. Uh, he was he was really bad, and it, it goes off of a preseason where outside of, I think it was just that first game, um, he largely didn't really impress me, like didn't really show me that he took a, a step forward. Like I've made no bones about it. He's he's my favorite player on this team, but he, he has not really shown up of late. And he the, the most worrisome thing to me is that he's looked – really indecisive and you could attribute some of that to playing with Derek Rose again for the first time in a year. It's like, it's like you got to be on your own for a year. And then like all of a sudden, like your teacher comes back and he's like, all right, you're, you're, you're back to being an intern again. That was, that was a very mixed analogy. Um, but he, in the preseason, he didn't have D Rose and tonight for five minutes, he didn't have D Rose and he, he just looked way, 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 way off. I, I thought Rose looked really rusty and it was, you could, it was pretty clear that he hadn't seen live game action in a while. I'm not super worried about him. He still did some good stuff, but he just shot two for eight. And then Obi had some real issues defensively, like like really getting lost off the ball, um, allowing um, Aldama uh, just to bomb away from three when, when he was absolutely draining from distance in most of the first half. That being said, Alex, I, I, don't, I don't know where you were at with this. On a night where I thought Tibbs did some really good stuff in terms of the second-half defensive adjustments, we've already lauded him for, for the game-winning uh, – or I uh, wish game-winning uh, – game-tying out-of-balance play. Uh, I was frustrated that he didn't trust Obi in overtime. And, and to me, that is a harbinger of things to come, that he he would rather play uh, Cam, um, RJ, and Fournier as, as the two through four rather than put Obi out there and give Obi a chance at a big moment. I was really excited to see if Obi could step up in that moment. And and he didn't. And it, it ultimately, though Fournier had one or two nice plays in OT, it, it, it didn't pay off, obviously. Yeah, I, I wonder if maybe at that particular moment, Tibbs was just thinking like, the shooting would be more valuable from Fournier or something. But yeah, I, I would have loved to have seen Obi out there too, but we know how Tibbs feels about Obi, unfortunately. And he's, uh, he's like harder on him than I think anybody else on the entire team. So situation worth monitoring throughout the year, even if Tibbs did do, I think he did some stuff fairly well in this game, as far as again, defensive adjustments, actually working some good out-of-bounds plays. And I think he actually staggered his rotation more than I'm used to seeing from him, which was a huge plus as well. So we'll see how that all shakes down. But, Gavin, I don't really have much more to add, considering it was a loss and everything. Not much to celebrate here. Uh, but I, I think we could wrap this one up for this edition of Locked on Knicks and uh, get ready for 
game two on Friday. Yeah, I, uh, I'm really excited for Quentin Grimes to come back. I think I think the Knicks could really use him, and, and tonight showed it. But that is it for this edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Uh, and yeah, we will uh, we will talk to you soon right here. In case you missed it, again, a lot of good preseason content. It's all still relevant. So head over to YouTube, head over to wherever you get your podcast and check it out. But until next time, this was Locked On Knicks. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.